0: Our lesson today comes from the Apostle Paul, his first letter to the Christians in Corinth. We're in the 15th chapter, beginning at the 12th verse. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised— Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me as we uh, begin the meditation. Lord, we thank you so much for the good news of the resurrection. We praise you for the victory over sin and death, which Jesus alone has won for us. Strengthen the faith and the witness of your servants around the world and this congregation who live each day in the power and the promise of the resurrection. And send your Holy Spirit into the hearts and homes of those who don't yet know you in the fullness of your grace and power. Those who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, bring them to faith. Faith in you, your love, your grace, your goodness, so that with believing hearts they too might know the joy of living as your sons and daughters now and forever. So we ask these things in the strong name of Jesus, the crucified and risen King of kings. Amen. I'm going to start this morning's meditation with a joke. I'm telling you it's a joke because when I started at 8 and 9.30, I'm not sure if some of the people knew I was joking. So uh, it's a joke. Um, Did you hear about the one? Did you hear about the angel of the Lord who was sent from heaven? to a team meeting at Sandia National Laboratories. Did you hear about that one? He was sent to speak directly to uh, a project manager and the message from on high to this uh, team leader was in in honor of your unselfish leadership and your exemplary work ethic. The Lord has sent me to tell you that you can choose this day between two gifts. Uh, You can have unparalleled wealth Or God will give you right now, this moment, the highest IQ in the world. You will become the smartest human being alive. And being a dedicated Sandian, being a dedicated scientist, he says without hesitation, well, I'll take the highest IQ. Done, says the angel. And then he disappears in a beautiful cloud of smoke, returning to heaven. Everyone on the team seated at the table is now facing the project manager who's got this Warm, kind of beautiful halo glowing behind his head, and one of the team members finally speaks up and says, Well, you're now the smartest person in the room. You're the smartest person in the world. What what do you have to tell us now with this, this new knowledge? And the the project manager stands and he strokes his chin and he says, Ah oh, man. I should have taken the money. It's a joke. (laughs) should have seen some of the people earlier this morning like, what? (laughs) I begin the meditation this morning with a joke in honor of some of our brothers and sisters in Christ, primarily in the Orthodox tradition who spend the days after Easter telling their best jokes because they do that honoring God who had the best joke of all in all history. They believe that their little jokes reflect the biggest joke, the glorious joke, the beautiful joke that God uh, pulled on Satan that first Easter morning. With Jesus crucified, his bruised, battered, bloodied body in the tomb, Satan thought he had won. He assumed that he had defeated Jesus and that Satan would have the last word. So he thought... And we're Easter people. We know that God raised Jesus. The last words became life and love, not death and hatred. So those Orthodox Christians in some part of the world spend the days after Easter telling jokes, celebrating God's victory. Maybe we should start having a joke fest here at Faith the days after Easter. You could come by to an open mic and Tell your best jokes, all in celebration of of Easter and God's grace. So if you didn't think my first joke was very good, I've got a second one to try on you, okay? All right? So uh, three people die right at the same moment, two physicians and a medical claims adjuster, and they're all getting ready to enter uh, the pearly gates, and there's St. Peter to greet them. And St. Peter says to the first one, well, tell me about yourself. Well, I spent my years on earth uh, as a pediatric surgeon, and because of my skill and my expertise, I healed. I brought healing to thousands of children who lived wonderful lives. And St. Peter said, well, well done. Come in and enjoy paradise. Second one step forward, St. Peter asks the same question. He goes, well, I went to med school and then specialized, you know, to become a psychiatrist. And I helped many people overcome mental illness. And um, I was able to help people live productive, you know, abundant lives. And St. Peter said, well done. Uh, Enter the Father's house. And then the third person, that medical claims adjuster, stepped forward. And St. Peter said, what'd you do? And he goes, well, on earth, you know, I work for a health insurance company, and I I helped them save millions of dollars by limiting procedures and reducing the length of time that people were allowed to stay in the hospital. And St. Peter said, oh, well, you may enter, but after three days, you'll be discharged. Okay. Now you see why I didn't go into comedy. But there wasn't any laughter that first Easter morning, was there? None. Mary was weeping. She stood outside the tomb crying, already in anguish, already grieving the death of Jesus, a horrible death, a public execution. And now it appeared that injury had been added to this insult to Jesus of Nazareth. It appeared to Mary that grave robbers had come in the night and taken his body And it was only when Jesus called to her by name that her tears became joy. Mary, Mary, said Jesus. And just by speaking her name, everything changed. What for Mary had been a horrible weekend, a horrific experience. First, the crucifixion, the death, the burial. And so she thinks a stolen body, all that, got turned around. It became a moment for celebration and joy. Her eyes were open to Jesus. Her tears were gone. Her anguished, hurting heart was blessed. Her life was changed. All because the resurrected Christ stood before her, alive and more than well, alive and victorious King of Kings. And he called her by name. Make no mistake, Jesus knows you, and he knows you by name. You are not generic to the Lord. You are no stranger to him. He's well acquainted with you. And that means he knows all your joys and all your sorrows, mine too. He knows you. He knows me. He knows our past. Every detail of it. So that means he knows the good we've been able to do, the mountaintop experiences that we've had, but he also knows our valleys. Uh, He's fully aware of our mistakes, our regrets, the shame that some of us have. He knows our fears. Nothing about you or me is hidden from Jesus. And the same Jesus who called out to Mary speaks to you now. He speaks to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to give you the freedom and the joy of living life through the gift of the resurrection. He wants you to trust his love for you. And if you're worried about your past, he wants you to hand it over. If you've got some dark secrets there, Jesus says, give it up, give it over, give it to me, and I'll make a trade. I'll give you, in exchange for your past, a future that is eternally bright And beautiful. So, we Christians do not worship some God who is an impersonal higher power. Uh, The God we serve knows our names and He's given us His name. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is not some faceless force beyond our knowledge or experience. He is not some cosmic being perched somewhere out there in the far reaches of the universe watching from afar as we just, you know, stumble through life trying to make sense out of it. This God, this one true God, decided to take on flesh and become one of us. Our God walked this earth, and our God died a real death. Just as a real death awaits every single one of us sooner or later. And before we breathe that final breath... He wants us to know him in the now and to know how much he loves us today and to live with the hope that the world cannot give, to live with the purpose that the world cannot provide because we know the love that caused Jesus to go the way of a a cross, taking our place and for our sake. You see, Jesus dialed a real death so we could... Live not just take up space or manage to exist for a few years. He died a real death so we could really live in the power and the promise of the empty tomb. And that very same Jesus calls you. He wants you to believe in him. He wants you to have trust in him. And so for Christians, we know that this faith in Christ is not just a matter of the head. It's not just some intellectual assent or acknowledgement. It's a matter of the heart It's not just a matter of of knowing who Jesus is, but it's a matter of trusting Jesus with your life. Because, rest assured, the devil knows fully who Jesus is. The evil one has knowledge of Christ. But that liar, that deceiver, does not love the Lord. He does not trust Christ. So Jesus, the same Jesus who stood outside the tomb where his body had been laid, asks you lovingly, graciously, mercifully to believe in him, trust in him, and serve him. And if that kind of faith, that kind of trust is hard for you, if it doesn't come easily, then on this first Sunday after Easter, I want you to remember our friend, our brother, Thomas. Poor old Thomas, stuck for nearly 2,000 years with a unfair label, Doubting Thomas. That's not only unfair, it's untrue. His nickname should really be Faithful Thomas, Believing Thomas, but instead... We call him Doubting Thomas, and we say to people, you shouldn't be a Doubting Thomas. How would you like it if your name, your nickname, was used in that kind of negative way because of something you said or did long ago in your past? How would you like it if you were given a moniker, some nasty nickname based on some foolish, weak, vulnerable moment from yesteryear or or some mistake you made not too long ago and have since repented of and now regret. Yeah, Thomas was a doubter. Do you know how long he doubted? One week. And because of one week, we now stick him with this label, Doubting Thomas. He was not there when the other disciples were hiding out for fear of the Jews behind closed doors when Christ appeared. And because he wasn't there when Christ first appeared to the other disciples, he wasn't going to go along with it. And just one week later, Christ comes again, and this time Thomas is there to see. Doubting Thomas becomes Thomas the believer. You see, without the resurrection, what Paul is telling us in our reading today from Corinthians, without resurrection, uh, Mary would have been left in her deep grief, her, her sorrow, her anguish, And for good reason. Without the resurrection, uh, Thomas would have remained the doubter, and uh, he'd probably be praised as the doubter for good reason. Right? And without the resurrection, you and I would be exactly what Paul describes. (laughs) Did you hear it? Without the resurrection, hey, we'd still be in our sins. No escaping that. Without the resurrection, our faith would be futile, an exercise in futility. (laughs) Hey, without the resurrection, we will all perish as everyone who died before us uh, would perish. Without the resurrection, our life and proclamation in this congregation would be a sham. And of all the people on the earth, we would be the most to be pitied. Without the resurrection, everything about us as Christians would be a joke. A really, really bad joke. But thanks be to God, the joke is not on us. (laughs) It's on the one who has preferred darkness over light, death over life, bondage over freedom, guilt over grace, rotting corpses over the resurrection. The joke is on the liar, the joke is on the deceiver, the joke is on the devil. And because the joke is on the father of lies, our true, good, loving father in heaven gives us joy And that's a joy that we have even in the midst of sadness and loss and disappointment. That's a joy we have that's not the same as happiness. Joy is ours in the Lord because we know he has the last laugh, he has the last word. And that last word is not death or separation or disease. Joy is ours because Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. So uh, the next time you hear a good joke, uh, first of all, share it with me. uh, I need some good jokes, obviously. And since I became a pastor 37 years ago, you know, people, if they're telling a joke and I walk up, they'll stop. You know, we can't tell that joke, there's the pastor. I look forward to retiring so I can start hearing good jokes again. People think that pastors don't like a good laugh or crying out loud. But the next time you hear a good joke, Laugh out loud at the punchline, but laugh louder with uh, God and his victory. Uh, Think of the joke that God pulled on Satan when Jesus got up and walked out of that tomb. A laugh joyfully remembering everything that Christ did for you by going the way of the cross and his tears and his agony and his death. Next time you hear a good joke, I think of the words from this Christian, a theologian from Germany. His name is uh, Jürgen Moltmann. Uh, I first encountered the writing of Moltmann when I was just a 22-year-old kid in seminary. Uh, Moltmann turned 95 this past Thursday, April 8th. But I remember his words from long ago, the first time I saw them. Good theologians don't have to be wordy. They just have to tell the truth. And it was Moltmann who put it this way. Our God has wept with us so that we may laugh with him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.